As a believer, reading God's Word is a critical part of your daily spiritual journey. And because it's so important, we've created a unique new resource to help you immerse yourself in biblical truth and open your eyes to all God's Word has for you. It's a free PDF download called The Word One-to-One that takes you on a guided journey through John chapter one. With biblical text and short commentary, each page provides insights that will strengthen your faith in an easy to read guided format. There's truly no other resource like this. Download your free PDF copy today at premierinsight.org forward slash resources. That's premierinsight.org forward slash resources. Welcome to another classic replay from the archives of Unbelievable. We hope you enjoy the conversation and do let us know what you think. You can email us at unbelievable at premier.org.uk and leave comments on our Facebook page, Premier Unbelievable, or tweet us at unbelievablefe. For many more resources to help both believers and skeptics to explore faith, please visit our website, premierunbelievable.com. Registering there will unlock access to all content on the website, as well as giving you special access through the weekly newsletter to exclusive content such as bonus videos and ebooks. That's premierunbelievable.com. And now, here's today's unbelievable classic replay hosted by Justin Briley from 2016. Well, I've got an interesting question for you on Unbelievable today. Do Christians and Muslims worship the same God? Well, a controversy in the USA was sparked recently when Christian University Wheaton College placed political science professor Larisha Hawkins on administrative leave after she published a Facebook post suggesting that Christians and Muslims worship the same God. Uh, That statement set off a wave of controversy across the country amid larger debates about the role of Muslims and Islam in America. Well, Hawkins and the college have settled their differences since, though Hawkins, I understand, is leaving the college. But rather than debate the rights and wrongs of what happened out in Wheaton, uh, we want to discuss the theological issue that was raised by her statement. Do Christians and Muslims worship the same God, we're asking today? Uh, My guests are Joseph Cumming and Nabil Qureshi. Joseph is a scholar of Islamic and Christian thought who serves as pastor of the International Church at Yale University out in the States. Now, he's going to be explaining why, well, it's not simple, uh, and there's a yes and a no answer to this question, but overall, he's more in favour of the idea that, yes, uh, Christians and Muslims do worship the same God. Uh, Nabil is the author of uh, Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus. That's about his journey from Islam to Christianity. Uh, he's a speaker and researcher with Azim internationally, currently working in Oxford on his DPhil. His next book is actually about Islam. It's Answering Jihad, A Better Way Forward, going to be released in April. And he'll be back on the programme in a, a month or two to talk about that. But um, he says the Islamic and Christian conception of God are so very different that we can't really say that we are worshipping the same God. I'll make sure to give ways to uh, find out more about both my guests during the course of today's programme. And if you want to get in touch about anything you hear on the show today, I encourage your feedback too. That's unbelievable at premier.org.uk. Uh, so welcome along to the programme, Joseph and Nabil. Thank you. Thank you. Great to have you both with me, gentlemen. Um, let's start with you, Joseph, just just quickly as uh, the newcomer to the programme, in a sense. Um, 
very quickly, um, the International Church at Yale University, what, what is that and why, why is it international exactly? Well, it's an outreach to the international students and scholars uh, and their families who come to Yale from all around the world. Uh, most of our members are from East Asia, but we have people from Latin America, Africa, Europe, and a handful of Americans in the church as well. And what led you into particularly being interested in Islam and uh, Christian issues? Well, I worked as the director of a Christian humanitarian organization for 15 years in the Islamic Republic of Mauritania in North Africa, where I um, was, uh, for much of the time, the only Arabic-speaking Christian in the country, uh, or one of very, very few Arabic-speaking Christians in the country. So... um, uh, Muslim leaders often, uh, and ordinary Muslims, uh, naturally came to me with their questions or their polemics against the Christian faith, and, and that um, uh, got me engaged with the, the issues that, that Muslims raise uh, uh, when uh, in their encounter with Christians. You, you're not here to obviously discuss the ins and outs of, of that particular case I mentioned from Wheaton College, which has prompted this question. But, but why, why do you think this is such a contentious issue in the USA at the moment? Well, you know, it's interesting. Um, uh, I've, I've noticed, you know, I've been working uh, in sort of the nexus of Muslim-Christian relations now for uh, more than 30 years. And prior to 9-11, when I would be visiting the U.S., and would speak in a church in America, I always found no matter what I spoke about afterwards, people, the first question they would ask me would be, is it true that Muslims believe that if they kill a Christian, they'll go straight to heaven, which is, of course, not true. Mm. Um, uh, since 9-11, there was suddenly a change, and I find that whenever I speak in a Christian church in America uh, about our work, the very first question people ask me afterwards is, do you believe that Muslims and Christians worship the same God? Um, and I think that what underlies it is, at least for many American evangelicals, is uh, that they think that if you in any way affirm any commonality with Islam, you're denying that Muslims need Jesus to be saved. Uh, and obviously, um, we have many things in common with Judaism, uh, and that doesn't mean that Jews don't need uh, Jesus. And the same is true in relation to Islam. But that. That seems to be what I think is driving the question for a lot of American evangelicals is the fear that if we find any common ground with Muslims, then we're undermining the unique claims of Christ uh, for and the necessity of Christ for salvation. Well, that's, that's an interesting take, and um, I look forward to hearing your perspective on, on the, the question that we're discussing today. Do Christians and Muslims worship the same God? Thanks for being with me on the programme today, Joseph. Nabil, welcome back to the programme yourself as well, joining us by a radio line from Oxford. Um, Nabil, uh, just very briefly, for those who haven't heard your story before, do you want to give us the very potted history of, oh my of, of your journey? Um, <laughs> I, I mean, the 30-second version. You know? Sure, yeah. I became uh, a believer after an extended series of conversations with a Christian, I was raised as a devout Muslim in the United States, and I was so devout in my faith that I would try to get Christians to become Muslim. (laughs) Well, I ran into a Christian who was able to start dialoguing with me intelligently about issues like the Bible, about uh, substitutionary atonement, Jesus, deity, and the Trinity were two really big ones. Uh, And then also he introduced me to issues about the Quran and Muhammad's life that I didn't realize. And so through those conversations, I realized that there was strength for the case for Christianity, not so much for Islam as I had always been taught. And at that point, I asked God to guide me, and through dreams and visions, he led me to scriptures 
which then uh, convicted me that uh, Jesus is Lord. When you were a Muslim, did you believe that you did worship the same God as Christians, or did you believe that effectively you you weren't simply not worshiping the same God? I believed we worship the same God. You did. Mm-hmm. That's interesting because the, the one voice, in a sense, that we don't have um, uh, is is another Muslim to to put uh, their their perspective on this. Would you say that different Muslims have different perspectives on this? No, generally speaking, Muslims believe that uh, we worship the same God. Of course, there'll be the odd one out, but. Uh, it's not until you ask a question like, do you believe Jesus is God, that they will say, no, of course not. But if mm. you just say, do we worship the same God, generally they say, yes, we do. That's really interesting. Um, what, what, do you kind of agree with what Joseph had to say there about the, the, the question has be- apparently become more relevant recently to Christians as well? And, and some of that stuff behind it of, of Christians perhaps worrying that if we make this admission, then it somehow means we're saying, well, Jesus isn't necessary for salvation. Well, I wasn't around before 9-11 as a Christian. I was still Muslim back then, so no one asked me questions about Mm. it back then. But since 2005, when I became a Christian, this is a very common question that I'm asked. Uh, I'm not sure if I'm concerned uh, quite as much about uh, if we, if people believing that if we affirm commonality, that we're compromising the gospel. Most people I run into uh, believe that everyone needs the gospel, regardless of how much you affirm, um, as long as they deny the deity of Christ and his resurrection, they need the gospel. I've seen that, but I, I can see why that's a concern. Um, when it comes to the the way you tend to interact with, um, now as a Christian, with, with Muslims, do, would you feel comfortable, I don't know, being in some kind of multi-faith kind of worship sort of um, situation? Or do you think that that, that I don't know, undermines to some extent the 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 differences between the two beliefs that's a very good question i think if there were to be something like that i would have to take it on a case-by-case basis i wouldn't i would need to see exactly what's being said what's being affirmed Mm. um that compromises aren't being made on a whim Mm. um so i would have to deal with that on a case-by-case basis sure Uh, joseph have you been in those kinds of scenarios where perhaps um joint acts of worship are being proposed or or celebrated, and, and what's your take on them? Uh, yes, I have on, on many occasions. Uh, I've both been disinvited by Muslim friends from participating in worship with, and prayer with them, and invited by Muslim friends. Um, and I, I think um, I do take it on a case-by-case basis also, because I want to make sure that I'm not uh, implying that I believe anything other than what I do believe. Mm-hmm. But as long as we're clear about the communication, I think we see abundant examples in Scripture of Jesus uh, praying together with non-believers, of the Apostle Paul uh, going to the synagogue and praying together with non-believers, uh, in fact, praying together with people who explicitly denied uh, Christ as God's self-revelation. Um, so I don't have any problem in principle with worshiping together uh, uh, or praying together uh, to the one God who created us with others, whether Jewish or Muslim or other, who, who uh, are also seeking to uh, worship that one God, as long as, uh, as my participation in that will not be understood by them or by others as implying that we agree about everything or that I am affirming beliefs that I don't hold. Yeah, um, it's, it's, there, there was an interesting story that caused some controversy here in the UK about a, a Church of England vicar who was allowing the premises or was going to allow the premises to be used for a um a muslim service and i know that there are some um pastors ministers who'd be perfectly happy for their church sanctuary to be used that way and others who would see that as 
uh, in some way um, demeaning um, the the purpose it's been set aside for. So we we have similar kind of questions that come up in different ways, don't we, in different scenarios. But the the question that we're asking today and that we need to drill down into is whether Christians and Muslims do worship the same God. Well, what what would we mean by that even? And uh, Joseph Cumming and Nabil Qureshi, my guests today, are going to be helping us to to look at this question on the program. Again, if you want to get in touch, you're welcome to email in with your thoughts as well. Unbelievable at premier.org.uk. Um, also, you can uh, send in your thoughts via Facebook and Twitter. Uh, we're on all those social media platforms at UnbelievableJB or Facebook.com slash UnbelievableJB to send your thoughts in that way. Um, all of that available from the website where you can listen back to today's show and find links to both my guests from today's program. That's PremierChristianRadio.com slash Unbelievable. Unbelievable with Justin Brierley. Um, okay, well, let, let's come to you, Joseph, to hear your arguments for and against, in a sense, because it, it is a bit more complicated than just a yes or no answer. How do you approach this whole issue of, of whether Christians and Muslims worship the same God? Well, thanks. Let me uh, cr- uh, briefly state two reasons why the answer is yes, then two reasons why the answer is no, and then respond to those no's and conclude why I, I think the answer is mostly yes. Okay. Um, so, uh, first of all, um, if uh, we are seeking to worship the one God who created the universe, and Muslims are seeking to worship the one God who created the universe, there cannot be two different one gods who created the universe. Uh, that's uh, it, you know, inherent in the nature of the thing itself. If there, there only is one God who created the universe, therefore we and they are both seeking, at least, to worship the same God. Now, we may be inadequately worshiping that one God. We may be worshiping that one God with uh, uh, either mild or grave misunderstandings about that one, what that one God is like. But we and Muslims, if, if we are each seeking to worship the one God who created the universe, uh, there can't be two different one gods. Mm. A second reason why the answer is yes is that the Quran explicitly states uh, that Muslims are seeking to worship the same God whom Christians worship. For example, in Surah Al-Ankabut, uh, verse 46, it says to, that, that Muslims should say to Jews and Christians, uh, our God and your God is one. Um, so uh, clearly the Quran calls upon Muslims to worship the same God whom Christians and Jews uh, worship. So, so if we want to say that Muslims are worshiping a different God, well, we have to be saying that Muslims are not doing what they are trying to do. Mm. Okay. Now, uh, let me say two reasons why the answer is no, one of which I think is not very convincing, and the other, the second of which I think is more serious. So the not very convincing one is to say, well, Muslims, it's, you'll come and hear Christians say, Muslims have a radically different understanding of God's character, so that the, they say Muslims see God as arbitrary and distant and um, not as loving, whereas Christians see God as loving covenant-keeping, and faithful. Um, I would say you can find Muslims who do see God as loving and caring and and covenant-keeping and faithful, and you can find Christians uh, who see God as distant and unapproachable and arbitrary, and actually the differences within the Muslim community and the difference within the Christian community on that are actually just as great as the difference between Muslims and Christians on that. So, um, if you want to make that argument, then you'd have to say each one of us is worshipping a different God from each other one of us, and each one of us has a slightly different conception of what God's character is like. So I don't think that's a very convincing argument. But what's a much more important argument is that 
Christians understand God's definitive self-revelation to be in the person of Jesus Christ, and that the fact that Jesus is God's manifestation in human form, Jesus is God incarnate, therefore uh, from that we conclude that God, the one God is triune. And uh, Muslims overwhelmingly deny those two things, that is, deny the deity of Christ and deny uh, the triune uh, nature of God. And, um, uh, of course, you can find a tiny minority of Muslims who do not deny that, but certainly the overwhelming majority of Muslims would deny that, whereas Christians not only affirm that, but believe that's necessary to our salvation. Um, now, that's a, a much more serious concern, um, because it is something that is necessary to our salvation. Um, it goes to the very core of what we understand God to be like. At the same time, if we want to say that uh, Muslims are worshiping a different God simply because they do not believe that Jesus Christ is God's definitive self-revelation and do not believe that God is triune, then we would be compelled to say that Jews who do not, or non-Messianic Jews are also worshiping a different God. I don't think very many evangelical Christians would want to say that Jews are worshiping a different God, but I don't think there's any theologically or intellectually consistent basis for saying Muslims are worshiping a different God because they deny the deity of Christ and the Trinity, while Jews are worshiping the same God that Christians do. Um, and, uh, in fact, uh, we see uh, a number of examples in the Bible of the Bible describing non-believers as worshiping uh, the one true God. So you have uh, the example uh, in which their worship is praised, for example, Cornelius in Acts uh, chapter 10, and uh, Lydia in Acts chapter 16, and even the pagan um, Athenians in Acts chapter 17 are all described as worshiping God, and then the apostles give, help them to come to a better understanding. Yes, that, this is a really, a really is. interesting point, as you say, because um, it, it what you described early on, this idea that um, Muslims and Christians are seeking to worship the God who created the universe, is, is, seems, seems to be that that's what Paul seemed to affirm in the Athenians and, and others, that they were seeking to worship, but they didn't have the full knowledge, the full revelation, I suppose, of, of who that God is. Um, re- really interesting point. So overall, this brings you to the point that we should be, in, in a sense, give the benefit of the doubt at some level to, to the view that I, I we, we say, are worshipping the same um, God. That's right. I, w- I would say we're certainly seeking to worship the same God. There are important differences in what we understand that uh, one God to be like and how we understand that one God to have uh, revealed himself, and, and those relate to things necessary to salvation. But um, on the basis of those texts in Acts and uh, other texts in, in uh, Matthew and Luke, uh, I, w- I think it would be uh, an error to say that Muslims are worshipping a different God. Okay. Well, let, let's give Nabil a chance to, to respond here. Nabil, because there's a, a lot of different facets there to what Joseph had to say. Um, there's this idea that he says on the plus side, you know, um, in favour of uh, Christians and Muslims worshipping the same God, we're all we're both seeking to worship the God who created the universe. There can't be more than one God, if you like, who created the universe. Um, and the Muslims uh, in the Quran, that's explicitly stated as as, as um, worshipping the same God. Against that, this view that, um, well, there are different conceptions. Um, he, Joseph didn't feel that was a very good argument. Perhaps more importantly, the, the revelation of God in Jesus Christ is something that obviously does distinguish uh, Muslim and Christian beliefs about God. So, so where do you come in all of these arguments, and, and why do you land up feeling that actually on balance we, we can't say that we worship the same God? 
Yeah, this is all very intricate stuff. It um, is, it and, is. And one of the things I want to say right off the bat is we shouldn't be pointing the finger at people and saying, well, you disagree with me, therefore you're an infidel, or therefore you're a heretic, or whatever you want to say. We should not be doing that, because this is a complicated question. On other issues, maybe, but not this one, um, mm. because this is very complicated. Uh, I want to start off by saying that when I became a Christian in 2005, I continued to believe that we worshiped the same God. It wasn't until a few years ago when I came to the realization that the Islamic God is essentially different from the Christian God, not peripherally, not tangentially, but essentially different from the Christian God, uh, then I came to the conclusion that, no, we don't worship the same God. Okay. Why do we say that, uh, why, do, why does anyone say uh, that Muslims and Christians worship the same God? It's exactly uh, what Pastor Cumming just said, um, that Surat Al-Ankabut says, uh, one God, uh, that we, you know, we worship one God and you worship one God. Uh, the Quran says that our God and your God is one. So Muslims assert that we're worshiping the same God, and that's why we say we worship the same God, those of us who do. Mm. Um, but is that good reason uh, to, to concede this point? Um, I would say that the Christian perspective, or well, you know, since, <laughs> since this is a, a conversation between Christians, let me start off with the gospel. <laughs> the gospel message is that God entered into this world as the only being that was sufficient to pay for our sins. He entered into this world out of love for us. That love was born out of the fact that he is a triune God, one God existing in a community love, community of love from eternity past. It is that love that drove him to enter into this world, to take our sins upon himself. Specifically, 1 John 4.14 says, we have seen and testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. So, what we have in the gospel message, you have a father, you have a son, and you have a triune God who's eternally loving. Islam denies all of these things. It's not that the Islamic God is just sort of different. Now, you know, if, if I were to say that the Islamic God had slightly different characteristics from the Christian God, they get it a bit wrong, but we worship the same God. Mm -hmm. Fine. But that's not the case here. In his most essential characteristics, the Islamic God is different from the Christian God. Now, it's not the case like uh, Messianic Jews or even Cornelius and Lydia, where we, we simply haven't explained or expounded at this point the Trinity to these people. Mm. Islam comes along, sees the Trinity, and very intentionally denies it. In fact, Surah Al-Maidah, Ayah 73, says, if you believe in a triune God, you're going to hell. Mm. So it... it, it absolutely condemns the Trinity. Surah 112 of the Quran, قُلْ هُوَ اللَّهُ أَحَدَ اللَّهُ السَّمَدْ لَمْ يَلِدْ وَلَمْ يُلَدْ وَلَمْ يَكُلُّهُ كُفُوَانْ أَحَدْ Muhammad says this surah of the Quran, this chapter, is worth one-third of the theology of the Quran. Well, what does this one chapter say? Allah is not a father, Allah is not a son. Mm. The, the main point is to deny the fatherhood and the sonship of God, which is so essential to who he is in Christianity. One other point I'd like to make is Surah Al-Ma'idah, verse 72, says, if you believe Jesus is God, you will go to hell. Mm. Whereas in Christianity, Romans chapter 10, verse 9, you have to confess that he's Lord to be saved. So these aren't peripheral divergences. These are these these are diametric oppositions on the most essential matters of who God is. There's so much more um, that, yes. that I want to say, well, but I'm well, sure we'll get to that. Just a question that crops up for me, and then I'll allow um, Joseph to come back, is that that point Joseph raised, though. Well, if, you're, if you do take that approach to Islam, should you not take the same approach to Judaism, where they would also deny the deity of Christ and, and so on? Um, and yet we seem to be a bit, bit more okay, very often, saying 
Christians and Jews worship the same God. What's the difference, I guess? Yeah, the difference is, uh, as Joseph was saying a moment ago, you know, you don't you don't want to say that every single Christian has a slightly different view of God, and therefore mm. we all believe in different gods. No, since we're within the same general tradition, we say we worship yeah. the same God, even if we have slightly different understandings. Yeah. Well, with Jews, their view of God is based on the Jewish scripture, as is the Christian view. It's built on Jewish scripture. So we share this foundation of scripture which we, we don't accuse of, of being corrupted, that we don't throw out. We actually build our entire theology on it. Uh, and because of that, Jews and Christians are starting from the same grounding. Mm. Um, and the Old Testament God, I'd argue, is multipersonal. There are Jews, uh, Jewish scholars like Alan Siegel and Daniel Boyarin, who've argued that in the first century, Jews believed in a multipersonal God. Hmm. And it, since then, rabbinic Judaism has demanded a monadic God, but we, we, we were on the same page at one point, and we have diverged since. It's not like Islam, which has explicitly yeah. denied it. I, I mean, take, for example, the Abraham, when God was revealed to him. And now, I'm assuming that Abraham never believed in his life in um, a Trinitarian God, um, or you know, obviously didn't have the opportunity to believe that Jesus was the um, revelation of God, the, the Son of God, and so on. But my, any Christian would say, yes, I worship the same God as, as Abraham. Um, but that's dif- distinct for you. From, I, I would from... think you're assuming too much. In Genesis 18, it says that uh, Abraham saw Yahweh. Genesis 18, 1 mm. through 10, Abraham mm. sees Yahweh at the Oaks of Mamre. And then in Genesis nineteen twenty four, it says Yahweh, this one that he's just been speaking to, Yahweh called out of heaven fire and sulfur from Yahweh in heaven. Hmm. So okay. there's a Yahweh on earth and a Yahweh in heaven. Abraham sees them both. I don't think that we should just we assume should necessarily assume uh, yeah. Okay. Um well let's um let's throw it across to you again um before we have to go to a break Joseph. What what's your response to some of what Nabil's brought up there? First of all, I think it's important uh, I I would disagree with Nabil respectfully with your um your reading of Surah Al-Maidah in the Quran. Uh Surah Al-Maidah uh, uh, has depicts God is asking Jesus, uh, did you tell the people to uh, to take yourself and Mary as two gods apart from God? So you have this not Trinitarianism but tritheism of God, Jesus, and Mary as three gods, and uh, then it says people who say that God is the third of three are unbelievers. I think it's referring to that tritheism, not to the mainstream Christian doctrine of the Trinity. It's true that many English translations of the Quran replace the Arabic word, uh, replace the word Trinity as a three with Trinity, even though the word Trinity is not in the Arabic text of the Quran anywhere. All of the verses in the Quran that are translated into English as rejecting Trinity are rejecting three, and I think it's referring to tritheism, not uh, to Trinitarianism. Um, I actually uh, uh, would agree with uh, Nabil that there is uh, room in uh, first-century Jewish thought for, I wouldn't say uh, Trinitarian or, or tri-person or multi-personality within God, because I think the use of the terminology of persons um, is uh, uh, second-century Christian uh, development, but certainly uh, the idea of uh, multiplicity in God um, it, you have in the Jewish philosopher Philo, and um, and you see that same thing reflected in the way that John chapter 1 exegetes Genesis 1. Um, and, uh, you know, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And that is the, 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 the primary go-to place out of which the Christian doctrine of the Trinity emerges. And that's an exegesis of Genesis 1. So I, I actually agree with Nabil that there's room for that there. I would simply say there's room for that in Islamic 
thought as well, because the Quran similarly teaches that everything that God created, God created by his word. And in mainstream Sunni thought, Ashaite and Maturidi thought, um, God's word is eternal and uncreated. In fact, there are not three but seven things of which God's word is one, which eternally subsists in the one divine essence. Um, so I, I think it's not quite as simple as uh, Muslims reject this and Jews accept it. Uh, uh, I think you are in a position where you either have to say, if you say that Muslims worship a different God, you have to say that Jews worship a different God. If you say that, Mus- that Jews worship the same God, you have to say that Muslims worship the same God. One, one last response, mm. and that is Nabil um, mentioned the idea that, well, the Jewish understanding of God is based on the scriptures, meaning the Tanakh, uh, the, the, what Christians call the Old Testament, uh, and uh, whereas uh, Islam is not basing its understanding of God on that. Well, yes and no, because uh, the rabbinic Jewish tradition is drawing its conception of God from the Talmud, which it understands to be the codification of oral Torah, just as much, if not more than, on the Tanakh. And if you read the content of the Talmud, I think you'll find it has just about the same degree of mixture as the Quran of things with which Christians can agree and things where Christians must respectfully disagree. Well, we're going to take a quick break and we'll allow Nabil to come back again. We're talking on Unbelievable today about the question of whether Christians and Muslims worship the same God. It was provoked by uh, the recent case at Wheaton uh, College in Illinois of uh, the political science professor Larisha Hawkins, who was placed on administrative leave after making that statement on her Facebook account. Well, that set off a wave of controversy across the country over her treatment, but also the issue. Um, Do Christians and Muslims worship the same God? We're debating that today. Uh, Joseph Cumming and Nabil Qureshi, my guests on Unbelievable. And uh, do come back in the second part of today's programme as we continue to debate the question. Before we rejoin the rest of today's podcast, I've got a very special offer for you to help you have an even more meaningful spiritual experience this Easter. As you know, N.T. Wright is without doubt one of the greatest Christian thinkers and apologists of our time. And some of Tom's answers to questions about Jesus' death, resurrection and return are some of the most poignant and thought-provoking. That's why we've created a brand new downloadable devotional resource that's perfect for the Easter season featuring these questions and Tom's answers. This five-day devotional journey titled Jesus' Death, Resurrection and Return is only available to friends like you as our thanks for your gift today. And remember, your support is truly critical to help keep resources and podcasts like Ask Anti Write Anything and Unbelievable going strong because this ministry is completely funded by friends like you. So please give the very best gift you can today and make sure to download your copy of Jesus' Death, Resurrection and Return devotional at premierinsight.org forward slash unbelievable show. That's premierinsight.org forward slash unbelievable show. Thank you. You're listening to Unbelievable on Premier Christian Radio. Welcome back to the programme. I'm Justin Broyley, your host for Unbelievable this Saturday afternoon. Here as part of Faith Explored on Premier Christian Radio, at the place on a Saturday afternoon where we debate the big questions, where we give a bit of space for theological reflection and debate. Often it's a Christian and a non-Christian joining me for discussion. Today, though, it is two Christians uh, debating the question of whether Christians and Muslims worship the same God. I'll be uh, telling you who they are again in a moment's time. Uh, Not to forget, though, that later on we'll be hearing from you as well. Uh, I always get a bulging mailbag every week of listeners 
from around the world telling me what they thought of recent programmes and I'll be reading out some of them at the end of today's show. So do stick around for that if you possibly can. Uh, A bit more detail as well about Unbelievable, the conference 2016 coming up on the 2nd of July this year as well. Uh, But today on the programme, we're asking uh, whether Christians and Muslims worship the same God. Joseph Cumming and Nabil Qureshi join me for the programme. Joseph is a scholar of Islamic and Christian thought who serves as pastor of the International Church at Yale University. Um, He's explained, I think, uh, very helpfully some of the pros and cons towards that argument, but why overall he comes down on the view that, yes, we can say we worship the same God. Uh, Nabil Qureshi says, as a Muslim, and for some time after his Christian conversion, he believed that Christians and Muslims worship the same God. It was only recently that he decided, actually, essentially, there is such an essential difference between the the, the Christian and uh, Muslim view of God that we can't realistically say that we worship the same God. Um, And uh, we we heard um, Nabil in that uh, section, uh, just at the end of that last section, Joseph explained that as far as he's concerned, it it feels like um, the Quran isn't as anti-Trinitarian as you were wanting to suggest, and that there's, if you like, space for, for, for us to say that we are seeking towards the same God and um, even that um, if you know reiterating that point that if you are going to exclude Muslims from saying that we, we worship the same God you'd, you'd have to do the same really for, for Jews so so do you want to come back on this again uh, yeah absolutely I think there's a lot a lot to say I don't want to miss anything he said some very valuable things I want to mm. just briefly touch on something we said much earlier and then Go come ahead. back to where we are yeah he said that monotheism essentially necessitates the fact that we worship the same God if you have one monotheist and another monotheist well since they're monotheists they're, they're worshiping the same God one of them might get it right one of them might get it wrong but they're both worshiping the same God I disagree I think one of them could be worshiping a God who doesn't exist Okay. Uh, even though, even though the universe, it's from a monotheistic standpoint, necessitates one creator who's omnipotent, omniscient, etc. Uh, that's the what that he is. It's not the who that he is. Mm. You know what he is. Yeah, omnipotent, omniscient creator. Who he is is his person, his character, and that's where it does matter how radically different God's character is in Christianity versus Islam. In Christianity, you have a God who's absolutely loving, absolutely merciful, who's willing to enter into this world, walk with people, walk with Moses, walk with Adam, uh, to 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 come into the tabernacle, to wrestle with Jacob, and of course to die on the cross. In Islam, none of that. In fact, the Quran denies that it's proper for God to do such a thing. Um, and of course, there's much more. Um, you know, we see in First John that God is love. Islam doesn't say that. In fact, chapter 60, verse 1 of the Quran condemns Muslims for loving God's enemies. Uh, of course, there's even worse. There's the fact that the God of Islam does not even seem to remember about his commands for monogamy, um, that he allows wife beating, um, that uh, he allows sex slavery. These are significant differences. I wouldn't say that they're tangential, but all of them pale in comparison to what we have been talking about, which is the very character of God, I'm sorry, the very persons of God. God is triune. Um, uh, Joseph has said that uh, the Quran isn't denying the Trinity, it's denying tritheism. Yes, but it is attempting to deny the Trinity. And the fact that it gets the Trinity wrong is further proof to show that this is not something that's building on Judeo-Christian tradition. The very concept of prophet is different between the two faiths. The concept of salvation is different between the two faiths. The concept of marriage is different. A lot of the semantics are there between Islam and Christianity, but the underlying referent of these same terms is very different, which shows us that it's not actually the same faith. 
But the one thing that I want to finish on here mm-hmm. is, um, is he was saying that you have to say that if Jews worship a monadic god, they're worshiping a different god. I completely disagree. I don't, um, I, I, again, Islam denies the Trinity. Judaism did not do that once Christianity and Judaism diverged. Uh, he has said that um, rabbinic Judaism is built on the Talmud. I have no idea how he has concluded that. I'd be interested to hear the Talmud. I don't know if he's referring to the Babylonian or Palestinian, but that's 5th and 8th centuries AD. Jews had written the Midrash, the great Midrash before that. Jews had written the Mishnah before that. Of course, the Mishnah uh, says it receives tradition from the Tanaitic period, which goes back to Jesus and before to Hillel, etc. So, no, Jews had an idea of God that goes, even the rabbinic Jews have an idea of God that goes way further back than the Talmud. And it was a multi-personal, using Alan Siegel's term, again, a Jewish scholar, it was a Binitarian understanding of God, even in the first century. Okay. Uh, Yes. Go ahead then, Joseph. How would you like to respond? So I I come back to this uh, idea. I I think, Nabil, the reason why you want to say that Muslims are worshipping a different God is that they are denying that God is triune and denying that God is definitively self-revealed in Jesus Christ. Um, And I think it's difficult to deny that rabbinic Judaism also denies that God is triune. Um, you want to say that, um, well, some in, in first century Judaism, there was room for Trinitarianism or Binitarianism, and I actually agree with you uh, uh, on that, but certainly uh, if you ask uh, mainstream rabbis today, does Judaism, uh, non-Messianic rabbis, that is, does Judaism uh, affirm or deny the Trinity, or is it silence? They'll say that Judaism rejects the doctrine of the Trinity. If you say, do, does, do you affirm or deny that Jesus is God incarnate? They will certainly uh, reject that. Um, so they're, they're pretty much on the same page with Muslims there. From your point of view, Joseph, this who versus what distinction that uh, Nabil made, um, that, that perhaps, you know, we can agree on, on, a, on, on a what definition uh, of the God being omniscient and omnipotent and so on, creating the universe perhaps, but the character of God is also fundamentally important. And, and for him again, he says that that is distinctly different between the two conceptions. Yes. Well, certainly I, I agree with Nabil. I don't know whether who versus what is the, is the right theological way to express it, but uh, the idea that we're both seeking to worship the one God who created the universe, and there is only one such God who, create, who created the universe, but we have radically, radically differing understandings of what that, God, that one God is like. I think actually Nabil and I are more or less on the same page uh, about that. Um, uh, at the same time, um, I want to say uh, the New Testament clearly uh, gives us multiple examples of people who did not believe uh, that Jesus was God, who did not believe that uh, God was triune, and who were nonetheless described as worshiping God. Now, earlier I gave the examples of, of uh, Cornelius in Acts 10 and Lydia in uh, Acts 16 and the Athenians in Acts 17, and you could say, well, those were the elect, those were people who were going to believe. Mm. But if you look at, um, for example, Ma- Matthew 15, 9, where Jesus is addressing uh, Pharisees who explicitly reject him, uh, and Jesus quotes from Isaiah, where Isaiah says, this people worship me, but they worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. Now, uh, so he's critiquing their worship as being inadequate um, and not acceptable to God. Nonetheless, 
he's not saying they're worshiping a different God. Jesus isn't saying they worship a different God because they reject him, because they radically misunderstand what God is like. They're worshiping God. They're just worshiping God in vain. Mm. Okay. Um, Responses to to any of those uh, points of view? Of course. Um, I would say that it is essential to remember that there is a difference between the who versus the what of God. Who he is is different from what he is. And I think that might be part of the reason why we're disconnecting here. Mm. What Muslims worship that's similar to Christians is the what, not the who. The who is radically different. And we ask the question, do Muslims and Christians worship the same God? I think we're talking about the who, not the what. But uh, one thing that uh, he mentioned briefly, he said that, uh, and I'll quote him, he said, you want to say it's a different God because it denies the Trinity. No, uh, it's much, much deeper than that. Uh, Islam isn't just, you know, the same religion denying the Trinity. Suppose with me for a moment, now I've never tried this before, so it's interesting (laughs) that we're trying this on the air, but suppose with me for a moment that a man is creating a religion, a monotheistic religion, out of whole cloth. Mm -hmm. And suppose with me that that God that he's creating, again, just hypothetical, Mm -hmm. is is one who is not a father, is not a son, is not triune, has no concept of substitutionary atonement, does not enter into this world, is not named Yahweh, uh, does not support monogamy, different in all these ways— Mm-hmm. But yet it is said that it is the same God, just bald-faced assertion, this is the same God, in order to win over Jews and Christians. Okay. And also, it, it, this man then inserts himself into the, the prophetic story of Judaism, the salvation history, he just inserts himself in there. But he doesn't bother to make any reconciliation between his God and the actual God of Judaism and Christianity. Would we be justified in saying it's the same God or not? And I would say, of course not. This man is making this stuff out of whole cloth. It's mm-hmm. not even remotely the same one. Okay. Do, do you think um, that Nabil's analogy works there, that if you weren't to give it the label Islam and just were taking it, as it were, from basic principles, that you would feel like, well, we've got a very different God on our hands here to, to the Christian view? Um, well, except that I, I don't think that Islam is quite that. I mean, I, right, he's, he's, what, what Nabil is describing is a Christian caricature of Islam, not Islam as it actually is. Um, for example, he says Islam repudiates uh, monogamy. Um, well, yes, but many uh, Muslims interpret Islam as endorsing monogamy. Uh, they simply get there by an interpretive uh, approach of saying, because polygamy is allowed only if you can treat all your wives equally, and that's impossible, just ask the first wife and she'll tell you and therefore uh, monogamy is, is forbidden. Uh, for example, um, the imams of Tunisia, uh, that was the basis on which uh, they supported outlawing polygamy in Tunisia. Um, so, you know, we can, we can take a caricature of Islam and then denounce that, um, and, and yet if you look at Islam as it actually is, um, it's, it's not quite so simple. Now, that's not to say you don't have polygamous Muslims. You have many, many polygamous Muslims in the world. Um, it's, it's, it, you can have Muslims who beat their wives and Muslims who don't beat their wives. There are Christians who beat their wives, too. Uh, clearly, beating your wife is outrageous and a deep offense to God. I don't know that beating your wife means you're worshiping a different God. I think it just means you're committing a terrible sin against the God uh, who respects that wife in a way. I, I mean, God. one of the things I'm getting here, though, is that obviously you and Nabil not only disagree about whether... Christians and Muslims worship the same God. You also disagree about your interpretations of the Quran, because I think what Nabil is saying is that, in his view, the Quran does legitimate uh, wife beating, 
um and therefore if if it speaks of a god if the god represented in the quran is is a god then then it must be a god who who approves in some sense of that whereas you're from what i gather from you there joseph you obviously don't believe that that's a proper way of viewing the islamic god well i, I don't necessarily think he's incorrect uh I, rather i would say i don't think it's my place as a non-muslim to interpret that quranic text for the muslim community the muslim community themselves are having a quite a vigorous debate about that text i mean it's a specific text in the Quran, which to me as a non-Muslim is deeply troubling, uh, but which the Muslim community is having quite a vigorous debate about. And I would think that uh, as as outsiders to that community looking in, I realize, Nabil, you are in a sense an insider and an outsider to that community, um, but as you know, for me as an outsider looking in, I'm going to root for the Muslims who are interpreting it uh, as uh, forbidding wife-beating. Some Christians, I think, are hoping that the pro-wife-beating camp in the, within the Islam We'll win the debate so we can then triumphantly show how bad Islam is. I'd rather see the anti-wife beating camp win that debate because I don't think God wants wives to be beaten. Sure. I mean, this takes us slightly off the main point here, Nabil, but um, do, do you sense that you, you are taking a different approach to the way you're willing to see the Quran and the way it represents God? Obviously, um, Joseph wants to give a very charitable view and, and in a sense a view that is as close as he can, can bring to, to the, the Christian view of God. Right, and I really appreciate Brother Joseph's heart behind this. Um, his his understanding of Islam, it becomes more apparent to me, and I don't know him, but from what I'm hearing, it becomes apparent to me that his understanding of Islam is, at least in large part, based upon his encounter with Muslims. And I love that. I love that he's encountering Muslims and dialoguing with them and getting his understanding of Islam from them. The problem is modern Muslims do not define Islam. Okay, there's a history of Islam, there's a tradition of Islam, there's a text, a Quran, which does speak for itself. Thirteen centuries of tradition do not negate what this past century, I'm sorry, thirteen centuries of tradition are much more important, not negated by just one century of debates. So he, he says that I'm caricaturing Islam. Uh, I, I do find that troubling. Um, I think there, it's very clear to see in the Quranic text, uh, Surah An-Nisa, verse 34, where it says, if you fear disobedience from your wives, beat them. Uh, there's no caricature here. Um, the, the polygamy, uh, the idea that, well, you, you should only marry one unless you can treat them all uh, equally. Uh, Muhammad gave up his rights, his marital rights, with some of his wives so that he could spend more time with other wives. Uh, just read the traditions. And, and that's where I think we're disconnecting. I'm basing my understanding of Islam on the original form of Islam, on the texts, on the teachings left by Muhammad. I'm not basing it on modern debates and, and current Muslims and what they might think. Again, when he said he talks to rabbis who reject who would say Judaism rejects a trinity. He's talking again about modern rabbis. I'm going back to that form of Judaism that was present in the first century. One point that I think we have to discuss, that we have not discussed up until now, mm. is that Islam's central doctrine is Tawheed. Islam's central, let me repeat this, Islam's central doctrine, the one off which all Islamic theology is built, is Tawheed. What is Tawheed? That God is monadic. He mm. cannot be triune. 
There, there is no compatibility whatsoever between the Islamic God and the triune God because not only of the Trinity, but also of the Islamic view. So Islam doesn't just come along and, and, and teach some other things that are, are, are tangentially different from Christianity. It sets up as its central doctrine, in full light of the fact that there is such a thing as a Trinity, it sets up as its central doctrine something completely antithetical that rebuts the Trinity. There is no compatibility here. That's a really interesting point. And and at that level, I can see where Nabil's coming from here, Joseph, that Judaism, you know, obviously, you know, modern Judaism does deny um, a Trinitarian view and Jesus being God's son and so on um, in the same way that Islam might. But at the same time, Islam was set up specifically to counter that claim of Christianity. There's there's in a sense it's it's inbuilt that they they said from the outset, you've got God wrong and, and we're here to to put it back in the right way. Whereas the, the relationship between, I guess, Judaism and Christianity is somewhat different to that in, in the way that Christianity emerged from Judaism. Um, I, I mean, shall we discuss, you know, the, 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 the nuts and bolts here of, of what Muslims believe about um, the Trinity? Obviously, this the, he, Nabil says Tawhid is the central doctrine of, of Islam. And so it's very difficult if that's the 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 theological view of god from which everything else stems um to to say that we can be worshiping the same god yes uh, certainly i agree with nabil that tawhid the affirmation of divine unity is the central doctrine of islam of course the nicene creed begins with the words we believe in one god so that's pretty darn central to uh, christian belief as well um but tawhid means different things to different muslims something most muslims are actually unaware of most Muslims think that the way in which they were taught Tawheed within their community is the only way in which it can be understood. And they've, uh, most Muslims have not been theologically educated about their own tradition. Uh, so that, um, you know, I don't want to get too technical on Islamic theology for your, for your listeners, uh, but uh, I do have an article on my website about the theology of Abu Hassan al-Ashari, who is the definitive theologian for the mainstream uh, Sunni tradition, and that theology uh, affirmed by Sunnis is actually um, uh, uh, criticized by uh, by anti-Sunni polemicists as uh, being polytheistic, uh, uh, precisely because they think it is identical to the Christian doctrine of the Trinity, and even medieval uh, Jewish polemicists uh, lump uh, mainstream Sunni Islam and Christianity in exactly the same camp in their view of the Trinity because of the fact that the mainstream Sunni tradition affirms that the one God has word and life and power eternally subsisting in his single divine essence as real uncreated reality subsisting in his essence. And the takeaway from that is simply that you don't think the distinction between Islamic and Christian beliefs is is as stark as... As, uh, uh, yes, says. I, I think I think Islam is more diverse and pluralistic than either most Muslims or most Christians give it uh, credit for. In that sense, I agree with Nabil uh, when you say Nabil um, that uh, modern Muslims don't get to uh, ignore 14 centuries of Islamic tradition. That's certainly right, but that 14 centuries of Islamic tradition has huge diversity and pluralism within it. Um, including on precisely this issue uh, of the Trinity that, that we're talking about. And um, uh, it, it's not just one simple thing. 
Uh, and I, I do not think, uh, by the way, Justin, it's correct to say Islam was set up to correct the doctrine, the Christian doctrine of the Trinity. Certainly, uh, the Prophet Muhammad understood himself to be correcting some errors that Christians and Jews had fallen into, and you see that clearly in the text of the Quran. But I don't think that the mainstream Christian doctrine of the Trinity was among the errors which the Prophet Muhammad under, understood himself to be correcting. Do, do you agree with that, um, Nabil, or, or do you... Uh, and uh, yeah, and just be interested in your response again to this this whole issue of uh, of, of whether um, the diversity that has existed and continues to exist within Islam means that we can't be as hard and fast about about claiming um, the view that you do take of the Quran and so on. Well, there's certainly diversity within Islam. I don't disagree with that. Um, but even even some of what he just mentioned is actually. I, I would say proving sort of my point here. Um, he mentions uh, al-Ashari um, at the end of the debates. Well, there was, if you want to watch more about this, by the way, I had a debate with Shabir Ali, who is a Sunni scholar uh, mm. on Trinity versus Tawheed last April. It's on YouTube. You can watch it. Mm. In the course of that debate, I brought up the issue of the Mihna. This was the Islamic Inquisition, which was launched by Sunni scholars. I'm sorry, I wouldn't use the word Sunni, but mm. scholars who were trying to defend Tawheed. It, yeah, it, yeah. It, so it, it was scholars who were trying to defend Tawheed, and what they said was, if you believe that the Quran is eternal, you are challenging Tawheed, and you can be killed for it. And in fact, people were killed for it. And it wasn't until Ashari comes around later and he provides his argument, which I, I believe was, was not sufficient, uh, that, that he ultimately won the day. So I agree with what he's saying, but even before Ashari, the issue of Tawheed was extremely important to Muslims. So Tawheed is central to Islam, even from the beginning of Islamic history, and it is set up specifically as a counter to the Trinity. I, I don't think that we can try to do away with that by pointing to the diversity within Islam. Even those who are probably on the fringes of the Islamic ummah, the Islamic community, they still believe in forms of Tawheed. And other Muslims have such issues with diverging forms of Tawheed that they're ready to kill for it. Uh, so, like Wahdad al-Wujud, it's, it's kind of this panentheistic view of the universe by some Sufis uh, that has caused people to kill one another because Tawheed is so central. And which is my point. Tawheed is central no mm. matter the diversity of Islam. Ashari comes after that point in time. Now, Muhammad, again, does get the Trinity wrong. The Quran gets the Trinity wrong. But Muhammad gets lots of things wrong. He, he gets, um, he, he gets uh, Aaron confused. He thinks Mary is a certain person, the niece of Moses. She's not. Uh, so Moses, I mean, Muhammad gets a lot of these things confused. That doesn't mean that he's not trying to deny the Trinity. Mm. Certainly through Surah Al-Ikhlas, the, the short chapter I reserved earlier, uh, he is trying to deny the Trinity. When he says, say not three, he's trying to deny the Trinity, especially since it comes right after the verse where he denies the deity of Jesus. So once again, I have to recap, Islam is set up specifically to deny, at least a central doctrine, is set up specifically to deny the Trinity, the deity of Christ, the absolute loving nature of God is found nowhere in the Quran. All of this jeopardizes our ability to share the gospel if we it, assume it, we have enough of a bridge. Which all raises the question for me of, of why, as a Muslim, and why you had said at the outset of the program, you, you believe most Muslims do believe they're worshipping the same God as Christians. If, if Islam is so set against, in that way, the Christian view of God, what, how, how does that square? In as much as I presume most Muslims know that Christians do have a Trinitarian view of God. So, so, so how can a Muslim claim to be 
worshipping the same God? That's a very good question because they believe Christians have corrupted their tradition. Okay. They believe Christians started off as monotheists, ultimately turned Jesus into a god, and have now become polytheists. So when they're saying that uh, we worship the same god, that narrative almost demands that we believe Christianity has been corrupted. And that's part of the problem with, I think, just saying that we worship the same god. We're assuming the Islamic narrative of corruption, of Muhammad coming in this line of prophets, uh, of, of the Quran fixing what the Bible right. has of, said. Of the Quran being the ultimate revelation rather than Jesus in that sense. We, we, we'll go to a quick break and we'll have final thoughts in, in what's been a really interesting discussion today on uh, whether Christians and Muslims worship the same God. This is Justin Briley for Unbelievable, the programme that aims to get you thinking every Saturday afternoon here on Premier Christian Radio. You can find us online at premierchristianradio.com slash unbelievable. Today's programme available there. You can leave comments, uh, find links to my guests, and we'll be hearing what you had to say about recent editions of the show in the next section of today's programme. Welcome back to the third and final part of today's Unbelievable with me, Justin Briley. Don't forget that after Unbelievable, we have The Profile, and every Saturday we hear an interview with a leading Christian in some walk of life. And Today I'm going to be speaking to Jay John, and he is one of the guests at this year's Unbelievable conference. Uh, Jay John is a noted evangelist. Uh, he's had three decades of experience in creative and dynamic public evangelism. He's delivered literally hundreds of talks to millions of people and seen thousands come to faith through initiatives such as the Just 10 tour. Uh, Well, uh, this afternoon on the profile, I'll be talking to him, amongst other things, about his Just One Emirates uh, stadium event planned for July 2017. That's a very ambitious event where he'll be hoping to fill it with Christians and non-Christians. So uh, listen out for that between four and five. And if you want to meet J. John in person, he's going to be speaking, as I say, at Unbelievable the conference this year and uh, he's just hilarious as well if you meet him he's got so many stories anecdotes he's a brilliant storyteller um and uh, and so it's great fun to have him at this year's conference it's something rather different really to to the speakers we normally feature uh, so i'm really looking forward to that we've also got you know some real academic um prowess as well in people like gary habermas who's going to be there who is of course uh, well known as a uh, apologetics and philosophy professor out in the states um, very much a leading authority on the evidence for the resurrection uh, jeremiah j johnston of the Christian Thinker Society is going to be with us as well and they're um, our main partners for the event uh, this year. Uh, Tanya Walker from Arzim, Ruth Jackson is going to be there, Yemi Adeshina, and there are more guests to be announced. I'm excited to say that we're going to be continuing to add to the roster of guests who will be at this year's conference. Uh, it's all happening Saturday the 2nd of July at the Brewery in central London. It was a great venue for us in 2013, so we're returning there this year. And um, I'm, I'm looking forward to the many seminars that you'll be able to uh, to experience there as well. I'll give you a bit more detail later on in the programme about those. If you do want to check it out, though, premierchristianradio.com slash unbelievable2016. And if you want to know what's coming up next week on the programme, we're going to be discussing that age-old problem of the problem of evil and suffering. Uh, Two guests will be joining me for that, uh, Corey Markham and Josh Parrick. So look out for that uh, next Saturday afternoon or on your podcast feed. For the moment, time to get into the final part of today's discussion. You're listening to Unbelievable on Premier Christian Radio. 
Well, concluding today's discussion on uh, Christians and Muslims and whether they worship the same God, we've been talking about this on the back of that uh, controversy in the USA just towards the end of last year when Wheaton College placed uh, a professor on administrative leave after she published a Facebook post suggesting that Christians and Muslims do worship the same God. Uh, we haven't really debated the rights and wrongs of that situation, which appears uh, has, has been uh, settled at some level. Um, but uh, we are debating the question, we have been debating the question of, of whether uh, the, these just two conceptions of God are simply too different to reconcile, um, as, as speaking of the same God. Um, Joseph Cumming and Nabil Qureshi have been on both sides of this debate. Um, Joseph, uh, a scholar of Islamic and Christian thought and pastor of the International Church at Yale University. Um, want to find out more about Joseph? Uh, josephcumming.com, C-U-M-M-I-N-G. Uh, dot com and uh, you can find more of his writings there website just as i record is actually down but hoping to get it up again it uh, it had a bit of a hack recently uh, nabil qureshi available at nabil com as well and uh, books and so on from there um so gentlemen it's been really interesting getting both your your positions on this um joseph you, you might want to respond to a little what nabil was saying towards the end of that section as well um, I mean, my overall question is, Is do you draw a line anywhere in terms of there being a distinction? C- could you say the same of um, a Hindu, a Buddhist, uh, some other religions, um, that, that they also worship the same God? Because there's a sense in which you might argue all religious people are grasping for, you know, ultimate reality. And, and, and so th- th- there might be a case of saying, well, all, all religions in the end are, are worshipping the same God. Where Do you draw a, a distinct line anywhere? So, uh, given the shortness of time, I'm going to resist my desire to respond to Nabil on Surah Al-Ikhlas and Surah Al-Nisa and on the Mehna, Um, but maybe uh, we'll have further discussion on our respective (laughs) blogs at some point about that uh, for listeners who want to get into that level of depth and understanding the text. I think you're asking a very important question there, um, Justin, and and I'm not... um, I'm not a scholar of Hinduism or Buddhism, so I, I, I wouldn't begin to try to unpack their understandings of God, where I'm a well-informed layman only. Um, what I would say is I think that the Bible gives us some clues. Uh, you, you see when the Yahwistic faith comes into the land of Canaan, uh, you have an indigenous belief system in southern Canaan, in which Ale is the high god over the pantheon, and in the northern Canaan, in which Baal is the high god over that pantheon. And, um, and the Lord's messengers seem to say, well, Yahweh and Ale are one and the same god. There is only that one god. Uh, and although there's some initial experimentation with adopting elements of Baal worship uh, and adapting it with critique into mainstream monotheistic faith, ultimately, Worship of Baal is is resoundingly rejected by the Bible, and I think the reason what what's the difference between Ale and Baal is that Baal is is inherently polytheistic. polytheistic. To worship Baal is to worship his female consort, with whom he has sex to make the the earth fertile, and whom we worship by committing sexual immorality. And so, there's no way that can be redeemed as a monotheistic faith. Uh, so that I think is why uh, it's rejected, but. Um, but where, where, where Yahwistic faith encounters a faith that can be uh, uh, made monotheistic, uh, it, it says, okay, you're not fully understanding what Ale is like, let's correct your misunderstandings, rather than saying, let's uh, reject that language and worship a different God. And so that would be 
the principle that I would take into conversation with Hindus or Buddhists or, 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 or for that matter, uh, people who, who follow traditional tribal religions. And, of course, uh, Christian workers among followers of traditional tribal religions generally don't say, um, you know, uh, we're just bringing in a new god you've never heard of. They generally look for what is the high god over all of it, and then say, mm. uh, we're going to show you how that one god has revealed himself in Jesus Christ, and you don't need to worship the other gods. Yeah. Speaking of which, in the end, I mean, I think a lot of people's concern with the, the phrase that Christians and Muslims worship the same god, a lot of evangelicals would be concerned, is that a lot of people might say that from the point of view of saying, um, oh, well, all these different religions, they're, they're all leading to the same path. You know, we all worship the same God after all. Um, and, and it's essentially you're, 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 it's a form of um, universalism, pluralism or whatever, which, which does um, then simply paper over the, the significant differences that do exist between between different religions, between Christianity and Islam, and the view that Jesus is in some way essential to salvation. So, and I'm getting from everything you've said so far in support of the view that Christians and Muslims worship the same God, that you're not saying that. You're not saying this is, we're all just, you know, uh, it's all different paths up the mountain kind of thing. That's absolutely right, Justin. Thank you for, for letting me conclude with that. Um, to want to emphasize where Muslims and Christians do have common ground does not meaning does not mean denying that there are some very real and undeniable and irreducible differences, in particular in relationship to the person of Jesus Christ and his atoning work on the cross and his resurrection, which as Christians we believe is necessary to salvation. So um, uh, absolutely uh, I affirm, as I think all evangelical Christians do, that Jesus Christ's atoning work on the cross is uh, is um, and his person are necessary to our salvation, and um, and and uh, if we seek to emphasize where there is common ground, that doesn't mean denying that there are some very very important salvation necessary areas where uh, mainstream Muslims and mainstream Christians are going to end up parting company. Um, I've got a couple of questions for you as we as we finish off, and just f- feel free to use it as a chance to, to summarise your thoughts on the show as well, Nabil. But mm-hmm. another question that's occurred to me in the course of the programme is, is we've been sort of arguing it from our perspective, do Christians and Muslims worship the same God? Does God accept, at what level would you say God accepts the worship of a Muslim? Um, do, does he simply not accept that worship because it is not directed at him, in fact? It's directed at something quite different or is god i don't know gracious enough to say i don't know for the truly seeking muslim even if they have a completely wrong conception of him i I, at some level accept that worship i'd be interested in your thought on that yeah it's a very good question i think before i try to answer that i'd like to tease out prayer versus worship go on Um, yeah i think muslims I have seen that prayer of Muslims answered. My own prayer when I was a Muslim was answered. Now, some people might say uh, that's so that God can lead you to him. Maybe. I don't know. But I know that God answers prayers of Muslims. Um, okay. Does he receive worship? That's an interesting one. I, I, would, mm. have to, I would have to say we don't know what God's ways are. Mm. Um, you know, if, if someone is worshiping a false god, might God accept that? Who knows? Uh, I don't think that the Bible answers that very clearly. Um, I know in certain cases... No, he doesn't. But is that always the case? I don't know. Um, so, 
that's one place to start. But and, mm. and I think that that bridges into what I wanted to say a bit, which was I, I thank Joseph again for his heart. I, I wish that we could have a million Josephs <laughs> who 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 would follow in his footsteps. Uh, but I'm not coming at this question missiologically. I'm not coming actually with any agenda. Simply uh, as a man with love for my God Yahweh and His gospel, and what I see in in the Christian God is essential it, it, with, with the sine qua non of what he is is love because he is triune this trinity is the foundation of the gospel and then we think of god as our father the grace of the father is absolutely central to christian theology and then the salvation that comes through the son is crucial literally for christian salvation all of this is denied by Islam. Islam leaves no room for the Christian God's most essential characteristics. This is why we can't equate it to something like Buddhism, like Hinduism. At least in this way, those religions were not built as a rejection of the essential components of the Christian faith, of the gospel even. And this is why this issue has become important to me. I debated Miroslav Wolf on this issue a few weeks ago because he had said something about the Wheaton controversy that I thought quite dangerous. Now, though, the reason why I'm debating this is because I'm realizing if we keep asserting that the Christian God and the Muslim God are the same, it's not so much that we're denying the necessity of, of evangelism, it's more that we're, we're actually destroying the foundation, the importance of the gospel and how it functions. We need to stand up for the fact that our God is a father, our God is a son, that he's a loving triune God, and it's because of that that this gospel works, otherwise they won't get it. Thank you both for um, impassioned defences of your different positions on this. And uh, thank you for, for being with me on the programme today. Um, Nabil and Joseph, uh, it's been great being with you. And who knows, perhaps we can um, open this up again at some point down the line. But uh, again, if you want to find out more about Nabil, nabilkureshi.com. Joseph is at josephcoming.com. Thanks for being with me on the programme today, gentlemen. Thank you so much. Thank you, Justin, and thank you, Nabil. Unbelievable with Justin Brierley. Look forward to hearing what you have to say about today's programme. Uh, do email in unbelievable at premier.org.uk. You can leave your comments as well underneath the show, and uh, every week we get literally hundreds of comments underneath uh, the latest edition of the programme at the website, premierchristianradio.com slash unbelievable. And I'll read some of the uh, many comments that were left in regard to that episode featuring Peter Hitchens, Peter Harris and Ed Turner talking about the legacy of Christopher Hitchens. Uh, that was last week's uh, discussion. I wanted to mention, though, before we get into some of your feedback, uh, this uh, this email from Andrew Torrance, who's a friend of the programme, and um, he's uh, involved with uh, doing stuff to do with theology up at St Andrews University in Scotland. I wanted to let us know about a new master's programme being launched there at the University of St Andrews for analytic and exegetical theology. Uh, it's part of a new institute being launched at St Andrews and will have classes from people like N.T. Wright, Michael Ree, uh, Peter Van Inwagen, C. Stephen Evans, Alan Torrance and uh, and uh, Andrew himself. So um, that's something to, to look out for. If you want to find out more about it, uh, st-andrews.ac.uk slash divinity. And uh, the details you'll be able to find there. But um, exciting opportunity if someone wants to extend their academic learning with some top level people. Um, So uh, go and check that out. 
Let's go to some of your feedback. And um, this was some of those comments that were under that uh, show, debating the legacy of Christopher Hitchens, one of the most well-known figures in the New Atheist movement, who, of course, died from cancer just over four years ago. Um, uh, Now, in regard to this, um, Peter Hitchens, his brother, who was on the programme discussing his legacy and and Christopher himself, uh, split opinion in the way he brought himself across. Um, Rob says the new atheist movement is as intellectually robust as the Big Mac is a robust example of healthy food preparation. Uh, Daniel wanted to talk about the bit that came up about science and values and so on. Says I'm utterly baffled every time I hear someone insistently claim that science can somehow prescribe objective moral value. Science is concerned with describing what is, whereas morality is concerned with prescribing how we should live. I've heard many atheists claim that pleasure is good and pain is evil or survival is good and death is evil but this value judgment cannot be confirmed or denied by science because it goes beyond the scope of what scientific methods an experiment can verify or falsify sure on the basis of personal experience i know that having a pot of boiling water poured over my head would indeed be painful and on the basis of observation and authority i can know that another person would experience similar pain if they had a pot of boiling water poured over their head science can support these sorts of conclusions but to claim that science can demonstrate what we should do that science can prescribe what is objectively good or bad is sloppy thinking that involves a fundamental misunderstanding of the nature and limits of science anyway on the subject of uh, what peter hitchens himself had to say david r said it's my first time listening to peter hitchens so i didn't know what to expect i was surprised to find that he presented himself as pompous condescending and uninformed bore to be fair though i'll check out some other resources to see if he presents himself in a better light elsewhere while roger morris said what was quite obvious is that whatever private conversations occurred between christopher and peter hitchens peter seemed least likely of the three guests to be an objective opinion on christopher it seems that peter is enjoying the one-sidedness of the conversation now that christopher is gone how ironic to hear the more objective christian scholar peter harris defend christopher from his boorish brother um and uh, andy said i've always been an admirer of peter hitchens in this discussion his idea that atheists just want to sin and they're not yet grown up didn't add a lot sorry peter you let me down there but electric um another contributor on the messaging page said in response to andy but it was clear that ed turner took a similar view of hitch's lifestyle and he even made the comment that hitch's rather silly depiction of god as a despot played into the hands of the theist who says that atheists are just self-centered kids it sounds to me that peter knew his brother well what was ed doing on the show anyway he just seemed to fawn over hitch and then when it got to specifics said he didn't actually like hitch's argumentation it was weird his arguments against religion on the grounds that he'd enjoyed a monty python film was pathetic and this guy a lawyer. Uh, we need more of this kind of debate with internet atheists to expose the poverty of thinking. Hitch was a fantastically lucid polemicist, but nothing in this program showed he ever produced anything sufficiently robust that actually adds to the debate. Peter Harris's thesis must be a terribly sad epitaph. Yes, um, Peter Harris was uh, the guest uh, also involved in that discussion who's writing this PhD on the anti-religion of Christopher Hitchens. Uh, This from Tom came in by email and said, Christopher Hitchens was, of course, an incredibly gifted orator, and I always enjoyed watching him immensely as his use of language and humour was masterly. However, I always felt that this great gift of his masked a real lack of substance in what he was actually saying. Uh, This was particularly brought home to me in his debate with Alistair McGrath. After his opening address, I was 
slightly worried for Dr. McGrath, having been so impressed by the rhetorical force of Hitchens' delivery. However, to my immense relief, and I should never have doubted him, Dr. McGrath calmly dismantled his opponent. Incidentally, I was quite bemused when your atheist guest cited this particular debate as an example of Hitchens' prowess. It just shows how two people can see something completely different in the same event. However, I would respectfully suggest that Hitchens' rhetorical skill could be the reason for this. It was bewitching. Uh, Peter Hitchens, on the other hand, does not suffer from this. Perhaps he doesn't quite have his brother's flair, but there seems to me something much deeper there. He has obviously had a complex and fascinating life, seeing much of the world, and I find his observations of many things to ring very true. He must be a nightmare to interview, though, and I thought you managed brilliantly. Did you see the Socrates in the City Oxford interview this January? Fascinating, but poor Eric Metaxas was made to work. I feel the Christian world needs someone like this, however. We're so blessed by John Lennox, William Lane Craig, Dr McGrath, etc., but they're obviously milder in debate than Hitchens. Peter Hitchens is like an unstoppable torrent. There were several moments where you were trying to perhaps indicate to him that it was time for him to let other guests speak, and he resolutely just kept going until he finished his point. Perhaps this is not the meekest behaviour, but as what he had to say is for me so valuable, I'm glad he has this ability to keep going at all cost. I felt that he rather tore apart your atheist guest, but in a purely academic manner. There was nothing personal about it. He just refused to let the poor fellow get away with anything, and I rather rejoice that we have someone like this to add to the apologetic canon. Thank you very much, uh, Tom. Uh, interesting stuff from you. Um, uh, so there, there were some interesting reactions to uh, that edition of the programme, um, and uh, we will be happy to continue to receive those uh, as they come in. Do send them in, unbelievable, at premier.org.uk. Just leaving through a few more of the emails I've had in, because um, I had some interesting questions, actually, that came in in the last week. Uh, Chris Martin said, Love the show. Over the last couple of years, I've gone through many of the archive podcasts and listened. I haven't run across one that tackles this question, though. I've struggled to really understand what people mean. This question is simply, what does one really mean when they say they have a relationship with God? To me... A relationship requires two-way dialogue, and unless you're hearing voices, I submit it's one way, and no different than my relationship with Marie Antoinette. Joking aside, I'm so tired of hearing Christians boil everything down in their faith as a vehicle to have a relationship with God. I need to know exactly what they mean, or it's just another nice-sounding but meaningless phrase. So I'm assuming from the email that you're not a Christian yourself, Chris, and but you you, you want Christians to be a bit more uh, specific about what they mean by this phrase, uh, having a relationship with God. Oh, well, here's my best stab at it. Um, I, I think it is one of those Christianese phrases that has crept into popular usage. In fact, I've sent you my response by email anyway, Chris, as you know. Um, but I, interesting, it's not one that you particularly find in Scripture itself, that the phrase uh, having a relationship with God um, doesn't really crop up all that much. Um, but I do use it myself, and I know plenty of Christians who do. And I, I think what I would mean by it would be mean something like believing that I experience some measure of guidance, peace, purpose from an awareness that God, or even more specifically Jesus, is present with me in my journey through life. Um, and that could include a thousand little feelings, nudges, awarenesses, responses, all those things that just make up your, your general character um, and shape a life where you genuinely believe God is there with you in that sense. Um, now, that still involves a lot of kind of rather subjective, numinous phrases. And uh, I guess the, the point is that even a, a human relationship is quite hard to actually encapsulate in words because it's, it is more than just having conversations with people, isn't it? Uh, but that, that's my attempt, I suppose, to, to say what I would mean by, by, you know, if I were to talk about myself being in a relationship with God. Um, uh, but it is a very subjective thing. Um, and anyone um, who claims to have that experience is inevitably going to 
have that experience differently from someone else. Um, I wouldn't get too hung up on it. Uh, I think the thing that's required of us is simply to respond to Jesus by believing in him and what he's done in reconciling us to God. And in in response to that, we submit our life to him uh, and we pray and seek after him to the best of our ability. But how that actually works itself out in practice will be experienced differently by different people. I think that's that's just the way it is. So I, I wouldn't go on anyone else's experience as sort of being the benchmark for what you should be experiencing if you were to to trust in Jesus. Um, Kyle is uh, another uh, agnostic slash atheist who's gone in touch recently, said, uh, hi, Justin, hope you're doing well. Uh, reading through the comments to the latest episode, um, someone posted the following Bible verse, Romans 1, 29 to 32. Uh, they have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed and depravity. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit and malice. They are gossipers, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do those very things, but also approve of those who practice them. And now this is what Paul has to say about those he terms the godless. It got me thinking, in light of such a teaching, Peter's Hitchens' loud and proud disdain for non-Christians seems quite warranted, doesn't it? How can Christians respect, care for, love or even tolerate unbelievers if this is what the Bible says about them? be interested to hear your thoughts on this as someone who regularly gives a platform to God-haters. Um, yeah, I, I, and again, I've responded to you, Kyle, as well. Um, I, I think the key to understanding Paul in that passage, I don't think he's talking about, um, you know, simply anyone who just doesn't believe in God. I think he, what he's talking about is what happens when people kind of go the whole distance and kind of abandoning any restraint that uh, a belief in God might kind of put around someone. Um, and uh, I don't think in that sense Paul has all people who are not Christian in his sights with that statement. I, I can see it sort of very much applying in that sense to um, the kind of idolatry and temple prostitution that would have been rife in the pagan setting that he was speaking into. But I think the whole thing has to be balanced against chapter two, which is what he leads into next, which is basically telling his Jewish sort of convert Christian readers, well, you've no right to judge those people when you're doing the same things yourself. And it's only on the basis of your repentance. You you, you have any standing before God. So the, I don't think it gives any license, even if you were to take this as, as a sort of general statement about the state of people without God, um, to for Christians to behave as though they're sort of morally superior. Because Paul, Paul goes on to say, you, you've got no, no right to do that yourself because you're guilty of doing these things yourself. So um, anyway, um, Peter was fairly bombastic, though, in the way he brought his case across and uh, that uh, that's ne that's never going to go well with everyone is it but um, we've had an interesting var varied response uh, to that program of last week hope you enjoyed it and hope you enjoyed today's show as well look forward to hearing your responses to this as well uh, again if you want to get in touch uh, unbelievable at premier.org.uk uh, do check out the details of unbelievable the conference 2016 as well i'd love you to go along uh, and be with me if you can on the 2nd of July. That's premierchristianradio.com slash unbelievable 2016. For now, I'll uh, love you and leave you. I'll be back with Jay John for the profile between four and five this afternoon. But let me finish by telling you what we're aiming to do at the same time next week. You're unbelievable. It's an old chestnut, but an important one. We're talking about God and suffering, evil. And uh, I've got a Christian and atheist guest joining me as usual. Corey Markham and Josh Parrick will be my guests. Do come back for that. If you can, it'll be another classic edition of Unbelievable. Unbelievable.